Yeah, and my first novel was set in the present day. Uh, and I wanted to do something different with this. I love historical research. It was this, I mean, it's just this fabulous time in history, right? Somebody who's born in the 20s, her youth is going to be like growing up during the Depression, then World War II, JFK getting shot, like all of that is in the book. And she's experiencing that firsthand. So it's this fabulous historical period. Welcome to the Gary Scott Thomas Show. Here's what we know. The podcast with unexpected conversations. Listen each week as we engage in unscripted conversations where we'll be just as surprised as you will be with where the dialogue goes. So join us each week and be privy to the captivating conversations that are sure to ensue. Here's your host, Gary Scott Thomas. New York Times bestselling author, Stephanie Clifford. How does that feel? Feels great. It's it's so good to be here talking to you. Well, I'm thrilled to be with you because, first of all, you're here talking about your brand new book. It's the Farewell Tour. And I read it. You sent it to me last week, and I spent all week reading it. I'm impressed you read it that fast. I was talking to my publisher, and I was like, we got to get it out really quickly. I'm talking to him so soon. Well, I did. I went and slammed through it because, you know, my history and background is country music. So I've got sure. things to talk about. But before we go into that, I love talking to authors. I love books. I'm a book lover. Yeah. And to ask someone, hey, explain the creative process to me is, is unfair, but it's not going to keep me from doing it. All right. Uh, <laughs> Fair warning. Where, anyway. where, where do ideas for books come from? And once you have the idea, what is the next process then? Do you start bouncing it off people? Do you see people you trust? Do you, do you go that area? What, what, do, what do you do? So I'll answer your second part first, which is I don't talk to anybody about it for like two years, really. I keep it completely quiet. I don't want feedback at first because I've, I've worked at, I'm a journalist as well. I work at newspapers, magazines. I get a lot of feedback from editors in kind of daily life. And I, I can't have that in fiction, at least at first. I have to sort of create this world and make sure it's working. And then when it's sort of come together a bit, I'll talk to my agent, I'll talk to my editor and get feedback at that point. But I've got to, I'm very, very careful and protective about it at first. For ideas on this one, it came from really, before I started it, I was reading novels of the American West. I was on this kick. And I noticed in almost all of them that the woman didn't get to like leave the house. Even in Wallace Stegner or Willa Cather, um, novels that were really sympathetic to women, the women were like stuck inside cooking and cleaning and baking and sewing. And I'm from the Northwest. Like I know a fair share of Western women of those generations. And like, I was like, just try keeping those ladies inside. Like they're going to bust out the door and like go horseback mm -hmm. riding and get out and, and like be in the world. And so I wanted to write a version of, of that sort of Western novel where the landscape um, forms so much of, of the scenes and the characters, but with a woman who's like out in the world, fighting her way through it, like talking, you know, she's got a, she's got a strong, strong personality, Lillian, the person at the center of Farewell Tour. Yeah, strong personality. That's what I'd say. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 interesting. I want to see how you got there, and I wanted to see which way you, because here's the truth, and and this is not meant to be derogatory whatsoever. You're not old enough to know who a lot of these stars you talked about. 
right? Uh, I, I didn't know them contemporaneously. No, yeah, but, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and because the thing of it is, is is the uh, Water Lil, who's the main character, and, and it's set uh, the, the present day is in the eighties. Right, so the present right. day that she that you when you start, which is a cool thing because I love time travel. Those are my favorite books, are time travel books, right? And I, and I love that you would go back and forth. But the but the conceit that you had was that present day was in the 1980s, and yeah. then you would time travel all the way back to the 1920s, right? Uh, and 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 explore her life back and forth like that. And you know. I because I'm older than you. I I knew who Ma Rainey was, but I had no idea what the Bull Weevil Blues were. Oh yeah, so, so it's that's the song that Lil hears. She's in the 1920s in Washington State. It's a song she hears on like a neighbor's Victrola, and she's so excited to hear a woman singing and being recorded that she's like, cool, like and singing about bull weevils, which she definitely knows about being in a agricultural area. So she really connects with that song. Well, and and before we get to that, before we get to that, that's my thing is when you decided to write this book, why why did you pick the errors that you did? Why was because it was it because it's so it, it's been defined by history now, A right? Bit, so yeah. unlike today, it's still more uh, amorphous. Where where that time is, it's set in stone now. Yeah, and my first novel was set in the present day. Uh, and I wanted to do something different with this. I love historical research. It was this, I mean, it's just this fabulous time in history, right? Somebody who's born in the 20s, her youth is going to be like growing up during the Depression, then World War II, JFK getting shot, like all of that is in the book. And she's experiencing that firsthand. So it's this fabulous historical period. For her job, too, she... Um, she moves to Tacoma, Washington at this time where it's like this weird hotspot of, of country music in the 1950s and becomes a honky-tonk country singer. And it's such an interesting time. It, it was a time when women weren't really out in the world working. They were, but maybe in, in more classic professions for women. And so she, as a woman in this country music business, really has to fight to make her songs, to make her career, to think about who she wants to be and how she wants to get her music out into the world. So it puts a lot of, a lot's at stake and she really has to want it. So that makes for a great character when they are, are just dying for something and willing to do just about anything to get it. How much did the research affect the overall tone and outcome of the novel? I mean, I, I would assume, again, I've never written a book and probably never need to. Uh, I, I read enough. I consume enough. <laughs> uh, but but you had the Germany idea. And then when you start doing the research, does that does it shoot it into different directions or do, or do you just research what you're trying to find out? You think you're researching what you're trying to find out and then you get all this wonderful stuff. So, for example, she, she's born in Walla Walla, Washington, on a Depression era farm where her parents are trying to hang on to the farm. And I went to Walla Walla. I was doing some research. They have a fabulous local library there where just kind of residents of Walla Walla have given papers and archives and journals. So in that, I found a mortgage and it was this beautiful sort of rice paper sheet, beautifully typed about uh, the terms of the mortgage. And it was so, you know, I have, I have a mortgage with Wells Fargo. It's like a hundred pages of <laughs> lawyerese. It's, it's, there's nothing, nothing romantic or compelling about it. Um, and I thought about, wow, what, what if they had this in their house? What would that do? 
what would that represent? If they have the mortgage there, she knows like they may not make it. It's it's summer of 33. They may not get enough money to with their crops to, to pay this mortgage. So that actually becomes a, a big uh, sort of plot point in the book, the mortgage, which was not a plot point at all before I'd run across that. Um, same, frankly, with the whole country music thing. I, I knew I wanted her to be a woman of, of the West. I knew I wanted her to start on this farm, um, but I didn't really know what her career should be until I found out I was reading obit. I love reading obituaries. It's, <laughs> they're so interesting. Well, they, they are fascinating because you get to see, you get to see the end result of a life. Yes. Yes. And there's so many good details in them. So I was reading an obituary that mentioned a country music producer out of Washington state. And I'm from Washington. I've loved classic country since I was a teenager and spent a summer in Arkansas doing, um, trail maintenance and kind of fell in love with, with the country scene there. But I had no idea there was any Washington connection. And then I started looking into it. And there was this moment when Buck Owens comes up from California to run a Washington radio station. Loretta Lynn's out uh, with her with her then new husband. Um, she, was, she was a young married gal out in Washington making the honky-tonk rounds. Don Rich, Buck Owens' eventual guitar player, uh, is playing the honky-tonks in Washington. And I was like, oh, well, that's great. Like if, if I can get her to that part of Washington by 19, kind of late 40s when they're all there, like what a fabulous, rich thing to explore in this book. It is, it is fun. I don't want to, um, I don't want to give any spoilers. Uh, it's a wonderful little mystery. Uh, it's a, and when I, when I, I call it a, a mental mystery without, without, you know, you start finding out why why Water Lil is the way Water Lil is, yeah. and you layer that throughout the book. And I I found it interesting. I'm a I've been doing country music for a long time, and uh, I I had the opportunity to talk to a lot of these people. Oh wow! You know, I've talked to Dolly Parton. I've talked to Buzz uh, Buck Owens. You know, I've had this wonderful thing. I've met and talked to Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings. Uh, and so I've always been a big fan of the country music history mm-hmm. and trying to see you weave in and not being afraid of jumping on some stuff. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed how the fact that you, Waterlill and the history acknowledged the fact that Buck Owens was a ball buster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and he wasn't the nicest guy and he would take credit for anything and he'd shortchange you if he could. Yeah, and that's but that's what made him a gazillionaire too. Yeah, he's a brilliant businessman and a and a great musician. But he like he, I read so I I of course was knew the pressure to get things like that right. You don't want to get Buck Owens wrong in a book set in the country music world. So I read his biography, his autobiography, like accounts from people who he'd played with, accounts from people who barely knew him, just to try to get a sense of what he was like as as Lil would have encountered him as a fellow musician. She marches into his radio station in Washington State and like kind of bursts into the on-air studio and says like, why aren't I, why aren't I here on your show? I brought my guitar, listen to me play. And they have this sort of a sparring relationship. They're both strong personalities and she respects him a lot, but she also is like, listen to what I can do. Yeah, it's a. I, I sit back and I say, because you don't know, it's a fictional character against uh, another person, and I'm like, you know, it, the fact that you could have gotten back to Buck would have been impressive uh, <laughs> if you could have gotten, if you could have talked your way all the way back there. That's and right. his 
And and that you touched on Don Rich, everybody who watched Hee Haw, Don Rich was Buck Owens' guitarist. And he's the guy who sang with him. And he he truly did make the Buck Owens Bakersfield sound. He was incredible. You cannot, you cannot talk Buck Owens without mentioning Don Rich. Completely. It is, it is impossible. And and they had so much fun. Like I, I was watching a ton of YouTube clips of the two of them mm-hmm. together, and you and Buck's doing the chorus and the verse, and then Don comes on and just like steps to the mic with his guitar, and you're just like, oh my goodness, like he's so good. Oh, and they do the things with the guitars because what people don't realize is Buck Owens was a very famous and sought after studio musician. Right. Buck Owens was a fantastic guitar player. Fantastic. And and him and Don would do stuff in their live acts where they would play each other, right? So one would hold his guitar, he'd you'd play his while the other played his, you know, they would play each other's guitar. And uh it was it was fascinating. And then, you know, Don Owen, Don Rich died in a motorcycle accident that you know, people are still to this day trying to figure out what happened. But Don had Don liked to party. Right. And this you know. wasn't the story, or at least the account at the time, was that he had been recording and kind of mm-hmm. had a couple drinks and then took the motorcycle to, to go to a beach house or something. Yeah. And going pretty fast, and they don't know what happened. His son sued the bike manufacturer because they said the tire popped or came off, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was always interesting because he was a very, he was a very good rider, but you can't discount the fact that Think about alcohol is you never know. Sometimes two drinks don't affect you. Sometimes two drinks lays you out. Right. You know? So right. but, and he was only but, 34, right? When he died? Yeah. And, and he his his contribution cannot be overshadowed. So the fact that you included him in there, I thought was cool. So when you're when you're creating the character of Waterloo, what I enjoyed about it is that when you first start reading the book. Maybe you do, but nobody else is going to like Waterloo. Sure. She's she's... not likable. She's not. People in the damn book don't like her. Right. She's mean to her to her play. She's starting out on this 1980 tour. She really, unlike her, she she used to always rehearse and be totally ready. Um, And this time she hasn't rehearsed. She doesn't even know her players. They haven't run through anything. And she just tears them up on stage, like in the opening scene. She's she's so, you know, you see pretty soon that she is so nervous and worried about being back on stage and worried about going home to Washington for the first time since she was a kid and playing there. But the way she, she just takes it out on other people. How hard is it to keep up that unlikability? Because I would imagine, again, I'm not a writer, but I would imagine at some point you want to mold them into something likable. You want to, and, and again, you find out what are Lil's reasons. And that's the cool part of the book. Once you find out her reasons, you go, wow, that's cool. Uh, but up until then, I can't imagine the mental gymnastics you had to pull on yourself to keep her from being, to soften her. Yeah. You know, in the first five or six chapters. Yeah. Yeah, she is a hard nut. And I think so many women from that time, if they survived in in something like country music, had to be really hard because she's not, she's never going to be Jean Shepard. She's never going to be Kitty Wells. Like she's not this, this nice married woman. She is a fighter and she can't let that go. She can't um, relax a little. And then like, as, as you see the tour go on, she does start to listen to other people. She starts to listen to her fiddler. 
who's a young uh, Japanese American, and all sorts of writer writes her off as a hippie who doesn't know anything because Kaori is like 19 or 20 years old, and then she starts to be like, oh, she's a writer too. Oh, she's a really good musician. Like maybe she's got something more. Charlie, who's uh, her her sort of lifetime her true love yeah Charlie's life- her true love yeah i think that's and right they, and they never consummated it i mean well that's i don't mean to throw a spoiler out for you but hopefully you'll get your chance to read this book but he is truly her true love yeah and her musical equal so they can talk in this language that she can't talk to anybody else in where they just like trade guitar riffs back and forth and she starts to listen to him a little bit too she starts to realize maybe the way i've approached life is is not totally working for me. Maybe I need to listen to other people and help them a little bit more and not not just like wall myself off so I can get through. Like maybe there's another way. Well, and the fact that you as the creator, you had to generate this, because I found this funny, you had to generate this hate from Lil's point of view for everyone. Mm-hmm. God bless Sylvia. <laughs> Sylvia, if you read this book, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sylvia. I'm I'm truly sorry. So, <laughs> Sylvia, I'm she, sweet lady. She had, you know, that was just the music of the time, yeah. right? You're nobody called today. That's Sylvia. And I uh, like Sylvia, yeah. But, but know, Lil is but just I'm furious. And Lil didn't like right, her, exactly, right? exactly. And that's what I'm saying. You had to generate that. You had to generate that disdain from the character's point of view. Right, which is really envy, of course, right? Whenever we're kind of putting down other people, especially in that way, she's disdainful of Sylvia. She's jealous of Barbara Mandrell, like all of these people who are who are doing really well in 1980. Um, Lillian is like, well, they, they weren't as good as me in my day. Now, again, she comes around a little bit. I like, I could even imagine her listening to Sylvia by, by the end of the book. <laughs> You know, I, I would hope so, because that's the hard thing in country music. And that's what I've I've dealt with, is that, honestly, if you want to lose me in a conversation, tell me blank is not country music. Right. Fill in the blank. Right. That, that ain't country music. That ain't country music. Uh, the only reason that country music is still as vibrant as it is, as it is uh, look, at, look at the numbers for ticket sales for the acts. Yeah. Every five to 10 years, we have a brand new set of number one acts who are selling the most tickets. Now, you have the standards like Kenny Chesney and people like that. But you have this year, last year, Morgan Wallen. Yeah. Uh, you know, next year, who else is it going to be? Turn that to rock and roll. And your number one acts are 70 and 80-year-old men. That's right. Because right. they won't let them change. They will not. They've sat back and said, oh, well, that ain't rock and roll. Well, then bring on Journey. Well, then bring on the Rolling Stones. Well, right. then bring on the Who. Right? And what's made country unique is that there's this, this cornucopia of sound right now. And so we're we're able to bring in it. And, and like I said, I've been doing I've been doing country music since the seventies. So I remember a lot of these people. And I love the fact that it sounds so different. And <laughs> and unlike the 70s, 80s, and 90s, today's country music is all over the map. That you can hear John Party and Old Dominion and Miranda Lambert and Sam Hunt and Ingrid Andress and Mary Mar- and it's just all over the map. So many sounds all over. I think it's amazing. And so, cre- like Margot Price, it's so creative yeah. and drawn from different 
Everybody's and bringing in different. traditional. Yeah, yeah, and like so the traditional still still exist. Right. I think of uh, like yeah. there's so many good bluegrass players too, like a little bit on the side of country, um, they, which is great because they're I think Nashville very clearly defined what country should and shouldn't be in like 1960, but now there are so many different influences there's jazz there's blues there's rock coming into country as there was from like the 20s through the 50s really and we acknowledge it and now with the internet it's it's accessible yeah right and so nashville doesn't get to tell you here's what you're going to sing here's what you're going to look like right you know now they have to ask the question what's unique about you Mm -hmm. what what are you bringing different to the party yeah, but seeing all these artists connecting directly with their fans and saying, this is who I am, here's my house, here's my pets, here's my, you know, is, well, that, is And that's cool. the dichotomy with, with Waterlil. Waterlil is a fantastic guitar player, yeah. and they won't let her play guitar. Yeah, she, she uh, teaches herself electric guitar when that is really just taking off. She's mostly about listening to jazz records, really. She's listening to Charlie Christian and some of the fantastic jazz guitarists and blues guitarists. And uh, she, gets her, she gets a Fender Telecaster 51, um, which I just, I wanted to give her something like so nice because she doesn't have very many nice things. And I was like, what's the coolest guitar that she could possibly have? And I, I think I can make a good argument that it's a Fender Tele. Uh, but when she goes to Nashville, she, she leaves Washington, goes to Bakersfield, plays there a while, does fine, gets a record contract, but isn't really taking off. And then when she goes to Nashville, she lands a producer who, who's good for her in a lot of ways, who's great. But he, she, at, at her first recording session, she picks up her telly and he's like, whoa, like you're a 40 year old woman who I'm basically launching. Like you can't also be an electric guitar player. It's not gonna, it's not gonna fly. Like it's too out there. And she has to put the telly back in its case and the other musicians look away because they're so empathetic toward her being like, oh my God, I can't believe she has to put away her, her instrument. But she does. And for years, she doesn't, she doesn't play it as much as she loves it. Yeah. And that's, again, the, the evolution that I can't, still being in the country music field, I can't imagine someone telling them No. No, you're not. You're not going to play that. I mean, because any any producer nowadays go really. You play how well do you? Play? Right, right. Because if you play really well, let's put it out there. And if you don't play really well, then that's what Nashville musicians are for. Right. They're really, really good. They're fat. Yeah. You know? The session musicians yeah. are incredible. But I, I think a, a woman, a forty year old electric guitar player in 1964 in Nashville, was probably a little too much. You know. Yeah, it was, even though, I mean, Dolly was known for playing her guitar, Mm -hmm. but she wasn't a lead guitarist, but it was just part of her, it was part of her act. Loretta Lynn, same thing. Yeah. She she sang because Loretta Lynn could write great songs for Loretta Lynn. She's an incredible songwriter, but you're right. When other people cover them, you're like, it's not quite. (laughs) You know, that's why people can cover Dolly Parton. Yeah. Because, you know, I Will Always Love You is universal. Yeah. Everybody's had that love that didn't work out, and yeah. we can all figure it out. But the truth of it is, only Loretta Lynn can write, don't come home a drinking with loving on your mind. <laughs> I mean, because it was to her husband. Right. You know? And when you hear somebody cover it, it's like almost cringy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, one's on the way. I, I think of all yeah. the Loretta. They're so specific. And she, was, she was brilliant about writing to her 
her life and her experience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what I love. We have a couple of people out there now who are able to write to to their experiences are, are being able to tell that story. I, I've told Ashley McBride, she kind of reminds me a little of Loretta Lynn mm. because you do, you know, Brenda, put your bra on. That's one of her songs, <laughs> right? And, and, and that's right out of the Loretta Lynn uh, tree. Right. <laughs> I, I could right? hear Loretta singing that, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you hear that and you go, okay, okay. And then, and then Dolly is more of those universal stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I could say, I could say Carly, Carly Pierce, you know, she wrote that album 29 about her divorce. Well, it really, that is universal. That's, yeah. a, that's a universal, my marriage failed and I never thought it was going to fail and this has destroyed me. And it, 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 it's that. So you see those. You see those trees, and then you get like Tammy Wynette. Tammy Wynette was very good about singing somebody else's song, but she had such a distinct voice. Yes, and such, I mean, the emotion in that voice was incredible. It's almost like operatic. Well, she could make happy birthday into a tearjerk. Yes, I know. I mean, that's what, you know, happy birthday. And that, the way she just... She just pinched off the notes. You know? and, I was and blasting then, her in my car the other day, and my daughter, who's five, was like, why is she so sad? And I was like, that's Tammy. She's incredible. She if you get a chance, uh, they did a they had artists cover the Beach Boys. Oh, wow. And they had Tammy Wynette sing In My Room. Oh, that's good. And it's just like, it's so depressing. <laughs> It's so depressing anyway because it's nothing but minor chords. Da 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 da, and then Tammy right is like in my room. Oh my god! You know, and you're just like, and it's good because you know the truth of it is, she was crazy as a bed bug. Just (laughs) bonkers crazy. She really was. George Jones. That's the thing. That's the difference between country music now and then is that they could cover up. The record companies could cover up how truly awful, awful they were. Mm. And her and George Jones were both awful. Really? George Jones tried to murder his wife twice. (laughs) Tammy Wynette staged her own fake kidnapping. Yes, that is a... (laughs) I was just watching George and Tammy, and I was like, I feel like this is a little bit sanitized, the, the showtime. Yeah, it's, 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 she was playing <laughs> bunkers, wild, crazy. Uh, and, you know, and even then, I mean, even in her death, she dies, her husband invites six friends over before he calls the cops. <sighs> they sit around and have drinks with her body in the, in the, in the living room on the couch. It's so crazy. Like, you couldn't. You couldn't write a song about it now because people would be like, yeah. that, that never happened. But, but they, could, they could hide all of that stuff back then. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about country music today is that you cannot, you can't hide it. And what it's done is I think it's really freed everybody up. I, I, I've told this story before, but I haven't told it to you, so I'm going to ring it. I told Garth Brooks one time, I said, you know the best thing you ever did? He goes, what? I said, you've taught two going on three generations of singers and artists how you can survive this business without going crazy. Mm. Right? Yeah. Because Garth makes it all about the fans. Garth understands that the people he's working with, be it concert promoters or radio or whatever, we're all in this together. If I make you look good, you're going to make me look good. And it all works out that. But we're all about the fans. Whatever works for the fans. And, hey, don't run around your wife. 
Yeah. Don't drink too much. Don't do drugs. And now you see these acts bring their families with them. Yes. You go backstage at some of these concerts now and there's kids running around. No, it's amazing. I was just talking to Amanda Shires about like bringing her kid on the road. And, and she said even like seven years ago when she had her child that she, there was no model for it. But now it, it's acceptable and fine. You can bring your kid on the road and they become like road cousins with the other, <laughs> the other kid of the, of the band members, which I think is great. I don't think I'd be smart enough to ha hang out and have drinks with Amanda Shires and Jason Isbell. I don't. I just don't think I'd be smart enough. <laughs> I was interviewing her. Was it? <laughs> was yeah, it I know. Out? But right, you get that feeling. You would be like, ah. I do. Yeah, yeah. She's and she she has her MFA. She was like in the midst of writing poems when we were talking. Like she is a smart woman. Yeah, and these people who and, and if you can figure out what it is you're trying to do right? And go, I'm just trying to create this stuff that I'm doing, and I'm not going to worry about it if I don't become a big star or not. Yeah. See, that's my thing. You don't, you don't get to, you don't get to, to do your, your individual music that they let you do and then complain when you don't become a big star, because that's not, that's not the industry's fault. That's you chose to go down that Sturgill, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and therefore, you cater to that group that you created. Yeah. Nancy Griffith was great about that. Nancy Griffith, I'm creating my lane. Yeah. And if everybody else finds me great, but I'm creating my lane. Alison Krauss, she created her lane. People found her, but she stayed in her lane. Yeah. You know, you had to come to her. She dang sure didn't go to you. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. And it's a nice, it's a nice way of thinking about creativity. Like if if you want to have giant packed arenas, okay, here's what you're going to need to do. You can't have both. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it, it's 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 rare when you can, yeah. you know, that you can go that way with either an entertainer or performer. People who are longtime listeners of the show know what I'm getting ready to say, but I'm going to take a break and come back <laughs> more with Stephanie Clifford. But here's what we know. I am thrilled to welcome Beck Shoes to Here's What We Know. And I know Beck Shoes, all of the Bay Area does. They continue to grow. Find out for yourself with the Beck Shoes difference. When you visit, it'll be an experience that, frankly, you're not used to. You won't have to find a shoe yourself. All right, best have someone find a size, and that's the last you see of them. Beck Shoes will accurately measure your feet. Then they will 3D scan your feet. You heard me, 3D scan. And then they will make sure your shoes are custom fit just for your feet. And you'll have over 75 brands and thousands of styles to choose from. Work boots, dress shoes, casual wear, sports gear. It's at Beck Shoes waiting for you. To find a location, just visit BeckShoes.com. Whether for work or play, they have your feet covered at Beck Shoes. Has life become a series of to-do lists and you long for the connection you once had with your partner? This is fixable. The Flood of Love video series will show you a kinder and gentler way to reconnect. Intimacy is one of the hardest things couples talk about or in reality don't talk about. The Flood of Love video series will guide you to a place where these conversations can happen. It's not too late. Go to afloodoflove.com and enter GST in the promo code to receive a 20% discount. Start making life better today at afloodoflove.com. So here's my theory, Stephanie. You're either an entertainer or a performer. Okay. An entertainer, an entertainer, it's all about the audience experience. It's all about your experience, right? Their experience. Garth Brooks is an entertainer. Mm -hmm. Carrie Underwood is an entertainer. Kenny Chesney is an entertainer. A performer 
you are invited to join in their experience. Hmm. Chris Stapleton is a performer. Okay. Barbara Streisand was always a performer. Yeah. The Grateful Dead and Fish, all it, they're performers. If they want to go off on a 38-minute drum solo because the drugs feel right tonight, <laughs> it's about them, right? Right. It's not about your experience. It's about you sharing their experience. Interesting. I like that. So, and so yeah, you can I, kind of divide everybody into one or the other. Yeah, and it makes you wonder, I mean, because there's there's parts of Water Lil that tries to that tries to straddle. Yeah. And I think that's when she really I think that's when she fails, not as a character. I'm right, saying but as a, in, in the music. I yeah. think that's right. Because she does love the fans. She respects them, except for one blow up when she gets drunk. It's <laughs> <laughs> like to say, you know, when she let her true feelings be known. Right. And, you know, because that's my thing. When she said that, no, 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 no. Don't apologize. That's what you really meant. Yeah. And it's a wonderful part in the book. You've got you've to gotta read it. It's a fun part in the book. Yeah, but and she spends the rest of her life basically apologizing for. It. Yeah, because I fans, you you don't insult the fans, as her producer says. Like he's like that is the one. Like you drink, it's not great, but they're letting it pass. You do pills, not great, they let it pass. Like you do not insult the fans. And she says because she's so, she's had a terrible sort of realization that day that she has to perform, um, and she is so upset by what Nashville has made her into that she sort of pulls off her wig and she's like, eh, look at like, look at who I really am. Why do you believe, why do you believe what they packaged me as? But yeah, it, it, it almost, it really does ruin her career for several years. Where did you find that speech? Where, where did you create that from? Where did you see it? When did you realize you needed it? I see it as, as real things unfolding in my head, almost like a memory or like I saw a movie of it. So I, I had been to Memphis um, doing some research there and I, I could totally see her staying at the Peabody Hotel there. And then I thought about like, what would happen? She gets this news about, about her family and, and she this whole time has been running away from them, essentially. She leaves home at age 10 to support herself. Uh, Did y'all hear that? 10. 10. She left home at age 10. Which is based on my grandmother, by the way. She left home... At 10 oh, to, shut up. Come yeah. on. We're stopping. We're stopping right there. Come on. Tell me about your grandma. Yeah. So she was a daughter of immigrants in, of, um. She always water lil. She's daughter of immigrants, Swedish immigrants. Say, right? Yeah. She was Danish, but similar, uh, growing up in the Northwest on, on a pretty poor farm. And at age 10, she left, moved into town to become a hired girl, which is what Lil does. And we never knew the reasons why. I, I, I loved my grandmother. She was a spitfire. She was a, she was a survivor, but she wouldn't talk about it. She said, I left home at age 10. It was what I had to do. I, and she never returned to her family. She supported herself from age 10 on, got herself to like University of Washington at age 16, married at 19 kind of thing. Um, and I, I was so, I've always been so fascinated by that, by kind of what, what that does to a person, what it does when you can't talk about it as she clearly couldn't. Um, and what, it, what it's like to have to survive on your own from such a young age, which wasn't that uncommon back then where you saw people striking, like being sent to relatives or being sent to work uh, to help support a family. Um, so that, that part of it was fascinating to me and, and really emotional because my grandmother has passed away and I adored her. And 
it, I never got a chance to sort of talk to her about this and really ask her about what it was like. I, I have an 11 year old, so I can't even imagine, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I'd trust him to stay here all day by himself. I know, my nine-year-old uh, can't less... put on socks. Like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. And, and, you know, that's the difference, again, also in today's day and age, especially because mental health issues are not the pejorative that they were at that time. Yeah. That That's the beautiful thing about today's day and age. And, and since I've had a chance to watch a lot of decades go by, to see the difference that that we can honestly sit back and ask someone or say, if you are struggling, if this doesn't feel right, I mean, seek help. You can do this. It's out there and they're doing amazing work. But the stuff that they did not talk about, because that's the way it worked then. (laughs) My my father served in World War II and I was an oops baby, right? So (laughs) as my sisters like to say, I was a Thanksgiving meal that got out of hand. but it was, it, it, it was, he didn't tell me anything. The only time he ever said one thing about his service is he goes, I was driving a motorcycle in Italy when they shot the gas tank and it blew up on me. Oh my God. And that's the only thing he ever said. And my mother told me, you know, he didn't come back right. He, he never, and he, and he battled drug and alcohol abuse the rest of his life. Uh, but they didn't talk about it. And I, he never talked about his father, my grandfather, who I never met, never talked about his father. And I finally met one of my, my uncles, his brother at the age of 89. And, and, you know, when you're a kid, you, it's all about you. You don't give a damn, don't care about family history, you know, like that. Well, I finally got to the age where I cared and I'm like, Hey, what was your dad like? And he turns around and looks at me and he goes, he was a mean, mean man. Right? And I had no idea what that was like. But that was that generation. Yeah. That generation did not talk about it to the point where it was detrimental, unlike this generation where I think talks about it so much to the point it's detrimental. Yeah. <laughs> we need we need a nice balance. But I, I agree. Where and and you talked about drugs and alcohol and Lillian certainly struggles with alcohol and struggles with pills. And I think that's what happens when people don't deal with this, when they're not allowed to talk about it or face it or acknowledge it. Um, And I think you saw that in a lot of people from that generation where, uh, as you said, the idea was like, nope, don't talk about it, move on. But your body knows what happened. Your brain knows what happened and, and it holds on to that and it comes out in some way. Well, that was the beautiful thing about the book is that you, again, once you find the motivation behind Lil's acts and what she had to do to survive and get herself to a place where she could even function is nothing short of harrowing. Yeah, you know, and again, it's it's a feel good book. It, it, I'll, I'll let you know at the end. Yay, little. <laughs> uh, but 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 you you really need to go in for the journey uh, that you'll see and go. All right, now I see why she did this. Now I see why she would approach it that way. Now I see, you know, because of all the lies she had to tell herself, right. much less anyone else. Right. And that was in part, I, I read a ton of memoirs, of course, of, of women, especially in, in the country music business. And when I read 
like Jan Howard's or Skeeter Davis's, they would talk about this incredibly traumatic stuff like incest or rape. And it was in a paragraph. They would say, this happened. And then it's like, we open in California at a show. And they they were of that generation where they were just like, this happened. I dealt with it. It's fine. I'm never going to speak of it again. And so I wanted to reflect like that in Lillian, where it was a time where she certainly couldn't like sing about it or put it in her music as, as people do now, I think really beautifully. I'm thinking of Alison Russell, who, um, who talks about her childhood abuse in her, in her music. Uh, and reflect on what, what that's like to hold that secret for your whole life, pretty much. Yeah, that, those names, Jan Howard. Jan Howard, Skeeter Davis. Skeeter Davis battled so many things in her life. Oh, I you got know? a sense from, from that autobiography. Like, it, it seemed like so much she was dealing with. Yeah, and, and I don't get the feeling that, and this is not me talking bad about Skeeter Davis, uh, but I don't think at any point was she ever emotionally prepared, mentally prepared to deal with any of that. If she had not been famous, I don't think she would have been able to deal with any of that. Right. You know, and then you add the fame factor into it. And oh, by the way, my husband is the biggest country music DJ in, in, in the Nashville right now. Right. It, it, that, that is a very weird autobiography, I've got to say, if you haven't read it. What, what are some of the biographies that you suggest? Um, I loved, uh, I'm just looking at my bookshelf. Um, I loved looking back to see Maxine Brown. Uh, she, she had a great one. I loved, um, Jean Shepard's is fabulous. She, uh, she grew up around Bakersfield and by Lake. she was on the road with Ferlin Husky and she wasn't, um, of age. And so Ferlin Husky had to be named as her guardian, which I think is hilarious to think of. Best name in country music ever. Ferlin Husky. Ferlin Husky. Um, Jan Howard's was wonderful. Uh, there have been a, a few great takes on Dolly Parton, Loretta Lynn, of course, Coal Miner's Daughter. <laughs> um, Charlie Pride's was great. Just talking about being the first Black musician signed to a major country music label. It gives you a good sense of, of what it's like to be an outsider in that world a little bit. I'll share a story with you that I, uh, I was such a fan of Charlie Pride because my father was a racist, mm. but he loved Charlie Pride. And I was talking to Jimmy Allen one day. I've become friends with Jimmy. And I said, you know, I've never talked to Charlie Pride. One day, man, one day I'm going to talk to Charlie Pride. Yeah. He goes, okay. So I'm on the air one morning. And Jimmy calls me on my cell phone. And I'm like, hey, buddy. And he goes, answer the hotline right now. No. And I'm like, okay. I said, well, give me a second. He goes, no, turn the song off and answer the hotline right now. All right. So I turned the song off and I'm like, hey, Jimmy. And he goes, Garrett, say hello to Mr. Charlie Pride. No. And I'm like, and I've talked to everybody. Here's the deal. I don't get nervous unless I'm talking to someone who my parents thought was famous. Right. And I was like, Oh my God, Mr. Pride. Especially so nice. unprepared. Like, That's so hard. <laughs> I'm so I am so thrilled to talk to you right now. And I said, and I told him, I said, this would just be something. He goes, What's your name again? I said, Gary Scott Thomas. He goes, Gary Scott Thomas. I said, Mr. Pride. And he goes, Yes, sir. 
I said, I can't tell you right now, but the angels in heaven are singing because my parents are screaming that you said their son's name. And he was just, he was just the nicest guy. And it was literally just a few months before he passed. Oh, wow. I had no idea. But when you, when you go over his story and you talk about a winner, he ended up winning so big. Yeah, he did. And he, he had to work. I mean, like all of his, his whole baseball career before he became a singer is like another incredible story where you're like on its well, own, that would be a fabulous. And then he ends up being a part owner of a major league baseball right. team. Right? He's like, look, look at where I got. <laughs> Winner. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah. Check please. Yeah. Winner. Yeah. Done. Well, I, I, I love the, the, the stories and we've forgotten. I've had this conversation before. We've forgotten people who were huge stars. You know who nobody ever talks about anymore. And you mentioned her in the book, Barbara Mandrell. Yeah. Barbara Mandrell in the 70s and 80s, you could not be. She was much bigger than Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. She was. And people sit back and go, no. Yeah. And a really talented uh, musician, speaking of musicians. Oh, really talented musician. Yeah. Her and both of her sisters, very, very talented musicians. You know, but we've kind of forgotten her. That's the thing about country music. The worst thing we do is that we decide when you've won enough awards. Yeah. And then, and then you never win any more awards. And it's, it's like that. Mm. You go, all of a sudden, you win everything, everything, everything. Next year, nothing. Next year, nothing. And it's like almost everybody goes, yeah, well, they've won it enough. We're, mm. we're done. Yeah. We're done. And, and, and it's not based on merit. Listen, Entertainer of the Year? To me, it's like, let's look at, let's look at, let's look at ticket sales. Mm-hmm. And, and, and stop there because that's what those people are actually entertaining. Yeah. So if you go by ticket sales, Kenny Chesney should be nominated for Entertainer of the Year. Aaron Church should be nominated. By, Garth Brooks should be nominated for Entertainer of the Year. Yeah. But because we've tried to break it into, and I say this word and it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be perceived wrong and I don't mean it to be, but we've broken it down to into inclusion. Let's, let's invite everybody to the party, whether the numbers are there or not, right? Just so we can go, hey, here's everybody. But the truth of it is, is if you're not selling tickets, and that used to be what Entertainer of the Year was. Well, now we've redefined it, and we don't know what it is anymore. Yeah, and I think you've got to respect all those musicians who are out there touring like their little hearts out. They're not little hearts. They're they're touring, and it. But that is they're just rich like, hearts out. yeah, they're rich hearts out. That that, that is just yeah. hard work being on the road that much. Well, some, it is. I mean, there are sections in the book when Lil, yeah, yeah, and when Lil talks about just like the road where you just got you're you're eating bad <laughs> food and like trying to find bathrooms and that's not that part of touring. <laughs> well, I mean, and Lil ends up with vocal problems, which is what so many of them did. Yeah, I've always said, sit back and and take two hours of your favorite songs and sing them nonstop and do that three nights in a row and then take a plane three states over and do it again. Right. And do that for a summer. Well, and have the energy to get up on stage every night and give that like she does care about putting on a good show and just getting that energy up. Every night to give them like a, a killer show is, is so hard, I think. It's, I, I have so much respect for all of these musicians and artists who are out there 
Well, that's the that's the entertainers, right? The entertainers are out there trying to make it there. Stapleton, and and I'm not saying anything about Stapleton. Stapleton is one of those entertainers of the year. Mm-hmm. He puts a lot of butts in a lot of seats, mm-hmm. right? So it's not about it being entertainer in that respect. Yeah. It's who are people wanting to go see? Yeah. And and Stapleton, and Stapleton's one of those people. His and even then he. I don't know if he's made it through the last couple of years without having to cancel a few shows. Is that right? Yeah, because it takes such a toll on you. Yeah. And then when you throw in, they have five kids. So hard. Yeah, that's, I got two and I look like this. Yeah, <laughs> you look you good, know? you look good. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but the bad thing is I'm 27. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's what it, it, it it's just it's fascinating to go through that journey and and going back to the book again farewell tour uh and and having her have this time constraint on her and going through the history of country music would you would you find yourself trying to write another novel in the country music field or do you just want to continue to branch out and there's no wrong answer I don't know. My my guess is I haven't started my next novel yet. Um, my guess is I like to do very different things with each one. I think the the great sort of lingering um, result, just personally for me from this novel, is I got to encounter so many country music stars and musicians that I never would have found otherwise. Because I I was sort of a path, I was a country music fan. I loved it, but I, I knew sort of the big acts, right? And when I went into this, suddenly I'm listening to Rose Maddox and to Patsy Montana and um, Lulu Bell and Scotty from from the 1940s barn dance mm-hmm. and all of these wonderful musicians that I wouldn't have encountered otherwise. And I'm, I've been listening to them like on nonstop. I, we have a record store nearby. I've been looking for Rose Maddox records. Um, so it's such a fabulous kind of perk of, of writing this book is finding out about all these wonderful people who have faded a little bit from the scene. Yeah. When I first got out here to San Jose, uh, we had had a club night with Patsy Montana and I had no idea. And it's like, wow, this is so much fun. But yeah, I would Rose Maddox y'all, you got to go look up video of Rose Maddox and remind yourself this was the fifties. It is right? wild. She's she like, was lady flipping Gaga in country music way before anybody was doing what she was doing. Completely, and she's just, yodeling and she's chirping and she's singing about being drunk. She's incredible. She's so good and just magnetic. Yeah, I mean, you talk about energy. Yeah, that's Rose Maddox. Yeah, and, and that woman worked until like her the the um. The inscription in the book is from, it's a Herb Peterson song, but it's the Rose Maddox version. Yeah, I, I, I think it's just so much fun. And, and again, we, I, I, was one, I was thrilled to see all the little inclusions. If you're a country music fan, to see these names you know. And if you're not, I think there's some you should look up. Yeah, that was that. Thanks for saying that. That was exactly what I was hoping for, is that people who, who know country will love it. But people who maybe aren't country fans or not fans of this era will come to it and be like, huh, that sounds like an interesting song. Let me, let me hear it. And then the emotional themes and, and sort of the narrative hopefully will pull people along wherever they land on the country on, on their opinions about country. Yeah. I gotta, I wrote myself a note. I got to find that Jan Howard autobiography. It, it's, it's good. I mean, she tells it straight. Like, it, it's hard. She she was categorized as a girl singer for so long and not taken seriously. Uh, and 
She was trying so hard to, to break in. And if I'm not mistaken, was it her son killed in Vietnam? I think that's right. I read about four biographies that were covering the same era at the same time. So I think that's correct. Yeah, I think that's right. Do you, what do you read for fun? And I, and I say this because I find it interesting. I love, uh, I love all kinds of books. Uh, I, I love James Rollins novels and I'm not expecting you to know who James Rollins is, but he does, he does these adventure novels, but he bases, he bases it on fact and then he creates a scenario out of it. Oh, nice. But I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. Then I found out he never reads books like that. He reads dry scientific. He, he's a veterinarian by trade. Oh, wow. And he reads dry scientific veterinarian animals books. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and writes that. And I'm like, well, I don't. <laughs> yeah, that just seems like... so weird. What, a, what do you do for fun? Um, Reading-wise, I I love literary fiction. So I've loved Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which is a a great book set weirdly in the video game world. And it actually reminds me a little bit of this in that it's set in this very specific world that I don't, I'm not involved in. I don't care about video games. And then I read the book and I was like, oh, awesome. Like, what a great book. And now I know a little bit more about video games. Fine. Um, and then I, I love thrillers too. So I love like a good fast pace, like somebody's dead, we're figuring it out. And I, I think I was reading a ton of thrillers during COVID. It was like all I could handle. And I feel like some of that pacing made it into this book where there's, <laughs> there's like a lot of, a lot of stuff moving along. It is not, I, I don't think it's a slow, um, slow moving literary book. <laughs> there's like a lot of twists and turns. I, I like to read, I, I read hard copy books when I'm at home or, you know, bedtime and stuff. And then I, I listen to audiobooks when I run, mm-hmm. you know, because I can't listen to music because it becomes a measurement of time. So only when you start thinking about it is I need, I need, I need to hear 12 more songs. Yeah. Or I need to hear 18 more songs. Yeah. But if somebody's telling you a great book, and especially if it's a good narrator, is this, is this out on audio yet? Yes. And the narrator is fabulous. She's Carrington McDuffie, who has this like deep, beautiful voice. And I wrote five songs for the book, but the songs that Lil writes, words and music. And so Carrington um, sings those in the audiobook. She brought in her own Fender to <laughs> accompany herself. You wrote songs? I did. I did. What was that like? It was great, actually. It was because there's so much I write for a living. Clearly, I write words, not music. And so it was really freeing to be like, I I knew these weren't, there was no commercial pressure on them. I could just sort of play around and put, um, try to write songs that Lil would have written. The first one is during World War II. She forms an all-girls band while all the boys are off at war. And it's a song called Woman's Work. And I've, you know, I've played piano since I was a kid. I play guitar. And so I got to just play around with lyrics, think about what would work in terms of verse and structure and what would have sounded right for that time. What, what would have been a song that a 20-something living in, in Washington State would have come up with in 1942. It was, it was a blast, honestly. Did you write, uh, is it Leela or Leva? Uh, Lena. Lena. Did you write Lena's song? I wrote, did you try to write it? Yeah, I did. Because I, you mentioned it in the book, but you don't, you leave it out there. I did leave it out. I, I wrote it and then I thought it was more powerful for, Lena is, is Lillian's name when she's at the forum. She, she changes yeah. it later. Um, and I thought it was more powerful for, sometimes I over-describe. And so I wanted to pull back a little and let the reader come to it and sort of 
go away with their own conclusions about what was in that song. I like that. And, and I and I could see when you did it that that was a conscientious decision. Yeah. Because now it gets to live wherever I want to put it. Right. And by that point, readers really know Lil. They, I, I don't like to have endings that are so cut and dry. I want to leave a little bit of room for the reader to come almost like looking at a piece of art and they're going to bring their perspective and their thoughts on what it should be. Fascinating. Well, I have enjoyed this conversation and I knew I would. Me too. Uh, because and I love I love creative people and I love people who can do stuff that I can't. I can't write. But I can read with the best of them. Yes. And you can interview <laughs> Buck Owens, which is so cool. The <laughs> only you know, thing you keep thinking about is, wow, you're so rich. I was I was at one of the Silicon Valley companies having lunch one time and one of the founders was they have cafeterias. Right. So I'm, I'm up there and, and the founder is literally right next to me. And I almost want to touch him. And I, I almost wanted to touch him and go, that's what a billion dollars. And I feel like. How that's nice right is your there. shirt? Oh, is, it, is it a really good material? <laughs> billion dollar shirt. Woo! Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stephanie, well, when the next book comes out, let's do this again. Fabulous. I love talking to you. It was so much fun. Thanks for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe, download a few more episodes, and please leave a review. Reviews really help us get this out to more people like you. Also, we'd love to hear what your favorite part was. Be sure to join us on social media to engage in even more unexpected conversations. Until next time.